welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Alexa Lavoie looks into a CBC hit piece on the Freedom Convoy. You see, the state broadcaster claimed that a Good Samaritan was conned out of thousands of dollars by the convoy folk. Just one little teeny-weeny problem. Turns out that the so-called Good Samaritan, well, he's actually a con man, not the Freedom Convoy people. Yes, thanks to an appalling lack of fact-checking, this CBC story may be one of the worst examples of fake news so far this year. Alexa has all the appalling details. And the Pierre Polyev Express continues to chug along the Conservative leadership hopeful recently swung by the University of British Columbia, Andrea Humphrey was able to interview Mr. Polyev regarding his support for the blockchain economy. And finally, letters, we get your letters, we get your letters every minute of every day, and I'll share some of your responses about my commentary regarding an Ontario government-run magazine devoted to the sale of alcohol that recently ran a story about Ramadan? Um, does anyone see a little problem here? Apparently not the nitwits who produce that fish wrap known as Food and Drink magazine. Those are your rebels, now let's round them up. My landlord, when I get arrested and asked if I could search my property, because they thought like I had weapon, I was an organizer. Here is what I could debunk concerning the lies about the donation and the money he lost. This is only a part of it. As other people also contributed to help him financially during the convoy, but we cannot know the exact amount he received. Let's start with the claim in the CBC article that Hart spent over $13,000 but only received $2,000 in donation. Hart also said he wrote to the convoy's organizer several times to be refunded for what he had spent on fuel for the truckers. I asked my bank on February 14th, how much money did I spend from January 27 to the 14th? And the total was um, a little bit over 13,000. He said he included receipt and screenshot of his bank statement. The person in charge of the refund confirmed to me that Engelhardt had no receipt, only picture of his account with unverifiable transfer and expense. Oh, poor Martin Engelhardt. I guess he doesn't realize that the problem with such a true confession slash mea culpa is this. You see, when you are a con man confessing that you are no longer a con man, the thing is, how do we truly know that this confession is not part of yet another con job? Uh, sorry, Mr. Engelhardt. I don't buy what you are selling, nor do I doubt many people are either. But hey, let's not forget 
Martin's accomplice in this most recent grifting scheme, and that would be the CBC, which was so gung-ho to demonize the Patriots, who made up the rank and file of the trucker convoy, that our state broadcaster forgot to do, you know, a little due diligence, like fact-checking. And joining me now to discuss this shameful man and an even more shameful piece of so-called journalism is our Quebec City correspondent, Alexa Lavoie. Bonjour, Alexa. Hello. Great to have you. <laughs> Great to have you. Uh, so, Alexa, lots of blame to go around here, but what? who do you have more contempt for? The con man, because I guess con men do what con men do, which is to take advantage of good Samaritans, or the CBC, which really just couldn't be bothered to show a little initiative and check out his outrageous story. So for me, I would say like both of them are to blame. Like uh, when you know that you are actually doing some bad stuff, fraud, example, scamming people, you are not exposing yourself in the story in the mainstream media. So, of course, if you decide to expose yourself, you take the consequences, conse consequences that come with. And the CBC had the job to probably verify and do some fact-checking for, like, what they give to them, like bank account or, like, the ticket they receive. They didn't check anything, and they didn't verify who was this man. And they used that man exposed them afterwards the people were seeing him say oh we are feeling so sorry for him we want to help him out they didn't know what who they were giving money and now i find out that that man is not the, the, completely not the one that people was expecting this man have you will see in my next report uh but you have like a really huge criminal record only like and i this is only in quebec we are i'm not talking about the rest of canada well you know um alexa thanks to your superb investigative journalism on this file you have exposed the cbc uh for being duped by this uh, person maybe they were willingly being duped um and, and that would be a, a story onto itself but the thing is now that the cat is out of the bag regarding this guy's background and his nefarious activities in the past, has the CBC retracted this story, apologized, made a correction? What? So I know that they did a correction when they saw, like, when they, it was saying, like, oh, I, I got arrested. And on the, he said that on the 15, but on the ticket of the, the police officer, he was on the 10. So they rectify on their web page some, some of the small information. But when we talk about the fact that CBC have reported on this man on 2018 and they didn't check on their own archive about the man in question. And as well, when you know that on the bank statement, they were able to see, like, black and white, that they, it was claiming, like, welfare from two provinces. That is actually a fraud thing. 
and they didn't like notice that i'm not sure about it i think it's more like or negligence or they just wanted to let that out of the story Wow, Alexa, I know CBC is funded to the tune of more than a billion plus dollars a year, making it virtually an extension of the government. But even by a government bureaucrat standard, how lazy can you get? I mean, they, they could even check their own stuff on their own website. Do you think, Alexa, and uh, I mean, we can't prove this, of course, but do you think CBC was intentionally trying to pull a fast one, that they knew damn well this guy was a con artist. They've reported on that in the past, and they were just hoping that nobody would notice, but it didn't get past your eagle eyes, thank goodness. Do you think that could be part of this story, which I think makes it infinitely worse? But in fact, like when they report on it, it was in 2018 because he was missing, and they were like scared or um, scared for his health, so probably they knew that it was because recently, as you know, like he did like a lot of threat of suicide, as at me on text message. Um, so I we know that he's unstable. We know that he's a, a really troubled man, but the fact that. CBC have reported him as a trouble man, like missing because they were scared for his health. And now you take him as a victim of a convoy. For me, it's like, eee, it's and, not and, the best. And Alexa, you said something very important there. Um, he has threatened you or implied threats to you via text messages or, or phone calls. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so after, um, so first of all, I tried to reach him first time because I wanted to maybe have an interview or I had some questions for him. So I wanted to let it, the chance to him to explain himself. Um, so the conversation end up really, really fast because he said that I destroyed his life and... Uh, you and destroyed everything. his life. Yeah. <laughs> By telling the truth. Boy, talk about shooting the messenger. And and so what were the nature of the threats for supposedly destroying this con man's life? So afterwards, afterwards that my first uh, report went out, he called, he tried to call me many times during the night. It was during the night, like 11 and at 1 a.m., he was sending me like a lot of uh, text message. I never answered because I was like, his message doesn't mean anything. And and so he sent me uh, another message at night, the other night, and saying like, I'm taking 30 deal a deal. Uh, that will make the job. Uh, it's what people want. So afterwards, I have no choice. I call the police for for his, uh, his safety and his help because I... It was my my responsibility, as at least to to advise the police that he he wanted to kill himself. But the fun fact is, like, he doesn't have like any home, mm. so the police was not able to to know where he was. You know, uh, Alexa, this uh, anecdote makes me believe that when we show the video where he's saying, 
oh, I, I was bad in the past. I, I'm, I'm reformed now. Give me a second chance. I'm a nice guy. Uh, no, I think he's still a con artist. Um, you know, I, I think that was a lot of BS about him uh, saying, uh, you've been so mean to me, I'm going to kill myself now. Um, this guy is a creep, and yet this is the poster boy CBC uses to demonize decent, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens that were part of the Freedom Convoy. How do you make sense of this? And especially, you need to know that I show a couple of people in my report that uh, I had an interview, but I, I talked with many, many, many people, okay? And I talked with Coventry Road, uh, the main people who was in charge of the refund of the money. He never provided any receipt, as he say at CBC. He had only bank, bank statement. And, and as well, like, a lot of people say to me that they donate to him or cash or um, e-transfer money. And especially for this woman who reached out to me and telling me, like, she... And she gave me the proof of $3,000 that she gave to Martin to rent the apartment and rent the place. So he actually lived on the, the, the well-being of people. P people want to help, like that is a human nature. And so he used that. And it's not, and, and as well, like he cannot be like sued for donation. Donation is like the person wanted to give you money. So I don't, you cannot sue someone for having actually agreeing to give money to someone. Yeah. So he have like a narrative, like a, a narrative, a story that is telling everybody and people are just like, okay, I want to help you out. So people donate to him. Wow. Well, uh, Alexa, absolute superb work. I can't wait to see the third part of your wonderful investigative report. Before I let you go, less than two hours ago, you were at the infamous Roxham Road, uh, a.k.a. Welcome to Canada Boulevard, uh, papers not required. Uh, what did you see there, Alexa? So... Um we went to uh, see a little bit of the establishment there. And uh, at Roxanne Road, of course, we saw a couple of taxi. Uh, of course, on the taxi, they have the advertising like a border crossing, uh, Roxanne Road. <laughs> and uh, so uh, an NTO family came, uh, nice, nice uh, clothes, nice uh, new shoes, actually, uh, luggage. And uh, they were actually, I think they, they were, they had like a, still like the plane ticket, like on the luggage. So probably they were from New York or something like that. And they took like straight away the, the, the tax, uh, taxi. And, uh, but I, I can believe like they are exempt to PCR test. They are exempt to, um, to be vaccinated to enter and as well like uh, if they cannot pay for the hotel the federal government will pay for their quarantine room hotel uh, and afterwards you know that in montreal right now the capacity of the shelter for them it's overreach they, they wow. don't have any space anymore uh, it's the highest level rate of immigra illegal immigration right now. 
Well, I mean, there's so much to delve in there, uh, Alexa, but I think you nailed it on the head. Here we have people unvaccinated, no PCR tests, Welcome to Canada. You can cross an international border. You or I, if we don't have vaccinations, we are landlocked in Canada. We can't go on a plane. We can't go on a train. If we need to see a relative in British Columbia, well, you know, say hello to a four-day drive across our dominion. Absolutely egregious and hypocritical. Thank you also for staying on top of that story. And as far as the CBC is concerned, I know Officially, those letters stand for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. I'm beginning to think they stand for crap, bullshite, and more crap. But that's just me. Alexa, you have a wonderful weekend, my friend. <laughs> you too, David. Okay, you Ciao. take care. And that was Alexa Lavoie coming from, to us from Montreal today. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Yeah, so recently you said that you are for Canada becoming sort of the blockchain capital of the world. Yes. I'm just wondering if that means, and i got to read it because I'm learning with everyone else here, does that mean you support centralized digital currency like we're seeing with Canada that they're developing with MIT, like what we're seeing that just rolled out with China and their social credit system? No, the opposite of that. So you have central bank digital currencies which are controlled by government. You have de decentralized um, blockchain assets like Bitcoin, which are controlled by no one. Um, basically, Bitcoin is controlled by the majority of the processing power on the network, which is held by thousands of people all around the world who don't even know each other. And that's the genius of the blockchain and the genius of Bitcoin. No one controls it. The government doesn't control it. Um, it is controlled by uh, a protocol uh, and you can buy and sell it without any intermediary. Everything is updated on a public ledger that is um, verified by thousands of people around the world through their computer network. Um, and those people don't even know each other, so they can't conspire to control it. Well, just call it the Pierre Polyev Express. Wherever Mr. Polyev goes, he is greeted by hundreds of enthusiastic supporters. And such was the case recently when Mr. Polyev dropped by the University of British Columbia to chat with the young conservatives on campus there. One of the topics discussed was his desire for Canada to be a leader when it comes to blockchain technology. Of course, there are so many other topics that are resonating with grassroots conservatives from his support of the trucker convoys to his pledge to defund the CBC statements that even that that earn rather Polyev standing ovations wherever he goes in our great dominion. And joining me now from Vancouver is Drea Humphrey. Happy to Hi. see you again, Drea. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So Drea, for red meat conservatives, I think Pierre Polyev is certainly saying all the right things, but at the end of the day, the question arises, is he the conservative champion that can knock Justin Trudeau off his throne, or is Mr. Polyev too good to be true given what we witnessed with Andrew Scheer and Aaron O'Toole, namely a couple of candidates that didn't come as advertised? 
Yeah, you know, that's something we're going to have to wait to find out the answer to. But definitely when it comes to sort of a movement appearing to be happening, he seems to be doing that. And we've had the opportunity of seeing him go head to head with Trudeau many times before. So that gives us a little bit of a taste on how they would be up against each other. But, you know, I, I haven't, uh, there's nothing uh, Mr. Polyev has ever said that I disagree with. Sometimes it's more just... Uh, what you wish he would have said at certain times. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we, as you said, uh, Drea, time will tell. I will say this. My gut feeling is telling me that Pierre Polyev is the real deal. Uh, I could be totally wrong. We'll find out in the months and years ahead. But certainly compared to the other so-called frontrunners in this race, and I speak of Jean Charest when he was out in uh, your parts, I saw a photo on Twitter, Drea, it, it, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. It looked like he was in a library that was half filled. And the, the look on the people's faces, it looked like they were being bored to death. <laughs> and then we have, um, you know, the sneaky beaver himself, um, Patrick Brown. And he made news the other day by saying that uh, he wants to take the Tamil Tiger terrorist organization off the terrorist list. He'll do that if he becomes prime minister. This is an organization that is recognized as a terrorist organization by 33 nations, Drea. This is a terrorist organization that has actually killed uh, a former prime minister of India, something so many other terrorist organizations would love to have on their resumes. Just showing you that Patrick Brown will say anything to anyone. How can these two dimwits possibly be contenders uh, given the kind of crowds and the kind of things Pierre Polyev is saying? Well, I think uh, there's always diversity in any party, really. And so we're seeing that like in full with this race, which I suppose is a good thing for democracy. But yeah, when you point out things like, you know, that's the promise you're going to make is um, taking someone off the terrorist list or a group off the terrorist list that is like that. I mean, that's pretty scary, but I guess you can put your own foot in your own mouth while you're running. Um, but, uh, you know, there are so many, you mentioned the UBC meeting, I think it was only about 160 who showed up, but that apparently had been the largest political gathering at UBC for over five years. So nothing to do with the lockdown or anything like that. So that just shows that there is something new happening right now. And, um, I guess maybe people who are running against them are just trying to find their own way to stand out. <laughs> You know, and I do notice, Dre, and I don't know if you've noticed it, it seems that Mr. Polyev is really appealing to the youth demographic. I see a lot of young people going to his rallies, and I know young people don't tend to vote, but hopefully <laughs> they will if he becomes leader. But something I want to get your opinion on, because I think it's very important, I have observed uh, with great distress that the critics of Pierre Polyev are playing the race card. Um, I look at some of the tweets. Here's one from somebody called uh, Ismahan uh, Razavi Sheher. She's with a uh, an organization called Champion Communications, more like loser communications, if you ask me, <laughs> and showed the huge gathering the other day in Calgary of Pierre Polyev supporters. And she wrote, Calgary is the third most diverse city in this country. 
Uh, this crowd does nothing to reflect that. Translation, Drea, look at all these white people. I think, I mean, are, there there are those who are basically likening uh, Pierre Polyev almost to a white supremacist. Are you getting that vibe or do the people you interview, do they come across like that to you? Well, uh, you know, in his BC visits, it was a very diverse crowd. Um, I did a couple of reports on it. You could see that. So it would be hard to do that narrative. You couldn't just kind of point the camera at one angle and only capture a group of white people. But this isn't surprising. We've seen this happen over and over and over. Use the race card if you don't like someone for whatever reason. And I think that it was effective. It was an effective strategy for a while, but I think people are so over it. It's it's almost like crying wolf at this point. Now when there really is some evil racist person, people are just going to roll their eyes because they're just going to think it's another time of, you know, the radical left using the race to try to silence um, a movement or a valuable discussion that needs to be had. Oh, but you know, that's the thing, Dre, as you well know, that when it comes to the radical left playing the race card, they only play it one way. If uh, Mr. Polyev was getting um, a disproportionate number of um, uh, people of color, uh, mm -hmm. Asian people, they would never dare issue a treat like, <laughs> look at all these Chinese people. What does that no. say? I mean, you know, I think this is really dangerous ground. I think they are really dividing Canadians when they use the race card selectively this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we saw this over and over with our protest coverage, right? You would, yep. you would protest, it would be diverse, or I would like to say it would be representative of the percentage of where you live, at least in Vancouver, right? I mean, um, you know, it would be abnormal to have 50% uh, black people at a protest in Vancouver, right? That wouldn't be statistically representative. But we saw over and over it get painted one way. So again, you know, because this is a conservative race, I'm not surprised to see this being uh, used. And I don't think anyone who is ready to see a change in Canada is really going to buy it anyways. Yeah, and I personally think, Drea, that Jean Charest gave himself uh, a self-inflicted fatal wound when he came out and condemned Pierre Polyev for supporting yeah. the trucker freedom convoy and yeah. further suggested that his support of the convoy it should disqualify Mr. Polyev for running for conservative leader. Is Jean Charest so out of touch that he doesn't realize that it was Aaron O'Toole's wishy-washy stance on the truckers that got him ousted as the conservative leader? How do you make sense of this, Drea? Well, you're right. He really drew the line in the sand there. If you were ever wondering... Uh... You know, is this a liberal <laughs> putting on a, a blue suit for a moment? Um, you kind of got your answer with that. And even I think Evan Solomon was kind of like, well, no, he supported the truckers. There was a little bit of an argument there about, you know, what happened there. And so you can just see he's going on with this false narrative and trying to use that to win. But it definitely, I think, worked the opposite and just showed, showed his true colors. And I guess that I don't know if the library tweet you saw was after that but perhaps that played into it yeah and speaking of true colors the only colors that count if you ask me while Sheree says he's true blue um we can't ignore the elephant in the room namely 
he was a red liberal premier of Quebec for eight years. I mean, how, how does he have the chutzpah to run for the conservative leadership with that on his resume, Drea? I saw a funny meme where it was like him getting his tattoo off from liberal and getting a new tattoo on. It's pretty funny. But um, yeah, eight years is a pretty dedicated amount of time. So um, I, I don't know what's going on, but I will say it's a very exciting race and politics are not always exciting. So it's kind of good to have, you know, the craziness in there and and maybe that strengthens the votes of other people. Right. Oh, 100 percent. And, you know, the convention for the conservatives it's not till september yeah. in a political timeline that is an eternity Drea. so much can happen as the saying goes today cannot possibly dream of what tomorrow will bring but i'm going to ask you to go out on a limb here what do you think is going to happen come september based on these early results where we see polyev getting standing room only mm -hmm. crowds, um, incredible ovations. And meanwhile, Pierre Paul, uh, sorry, rather Jean Charest is in half empty libraries and Patrick Brown is in basements in Brampton talking to terrorist supporters. What do you think is going to happen come September? Well, just based on what's going on today, it would be probably we would see um, Polyev win, although I think people are also underestimating Dr. Lewis. Uh, mm. She's had decent turnouts as well. I just covered her yesterday. There was about 350 people. Um, she was first to reach the 300K level. Uh, she passed uh, uh, MP Polyev on that. She had won the pot one or whatever, however you say it, but got the popular vote in the last leadership race. So Perhaps there's some sort of grassroots movement there that uh, isn't getting as much exposure. And who knows how close they could be come September 10th. Um, but again, that's all based on what's happening now. So. Well, I'll tell you, um, Drea, um, Dr. Leslie Lewis would be my second choice. Um, I'm uh, backing right now uh, Mr. Polyev. I, I, as I said before, my gut tells me he's the real deal. But at least, uh, Dr. Lewis, she is a conservative. When you look at the others, come on, Jean Charest, that's a liberal. Patrick Brown, he's a fake conservative. He, he, the reason why he was ousted from the PC uh, Ontario, uh, or rather the PC uh, Ontario, yes, leadership role, was because he had thrown fiscal conservatives under the bus and social conservatives under the bus. There was no one else to throw under the bus but him. And then we have Leona Alislev, the liberal that crossed over to the Conservative Party in 2018 because internal polling in her writing, which happens to be the writing I'm in, showed that it was going to swing conservative, and it did. But alas and alack, the best laid plans, she lost her seat uh, last fall with the last federal election. Uh, but yet, she's a liberal as well. Um, here's my question, Drea. Why is it that the Conservative Party seems to attract people who are phony conservatives. They're really liberals in the first place. Uh, well, that's a good question. I didn't know the backstory you just said about crossing the floor. I did know that she crossed the floor, but I didn't know why exactly. And, you know, with that said, let's hope we see more of that this time around. And maybe that would be a reason for more <laughs> liberals uh, to become conservative. Maybe they're going to see, oh, my goodness, there is some traction happening there. And... Uh, 
we're sort of on a sinking ship. So maybe that is one of the reasons that people do move to the conservatives is that they can kind of see that the culture is changing and perhaps they just want to jump off the sinking ship. Yep, they might be rats, but it's okay if there are rats, I suppose. No, <laughs> oh, no, rats have their purpose, I suppose. <laughs> okay, well, Drea, um, uh, a wonderful piece. And by the way, I, I almost forgot to mention another difference compared to what we saw with Mr. Shear, Mr. O'Toole, uh, Mr. Polyev is actually giving interviews to Rebel News reporters. Uh, You got one, uh, our colleague Dakota got one. They might be brief, but he's not running away. He's not hiding in a bathroom. Uh, He's not calling the cops. So that that is a major plus for himself as well. Drea, uh, have a wonderful weekend and a uh, joyful Easter, my friend. You too, bye everyone. Thank you so much. And that was Drea Humphrey in Vancouver. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. You see, on page 24, there's an article regarding the Islamic holiday of Ramadan, which kicked off earlier this month. Um, Right off the bat, does anyone see an issue here? The LCBO doesn't sell food, of course, but it does sell alcohol and lots of it. How is it possible that the dim-witted staff at Booze, Inc. might be the only ones in the province who don't realize that practicing Muslims aren't supposed to drink beer, wine, and spirits? Hello? In any event, here's where things get interesting. When it's time for Ramadan fasting to end, food and drink suggest partaking in such marvelous edibles as hearty lamb, legume soup, and a funnel cake type fritter called zulbia. That sounds delicious, but what does one wash it down with? Wow. By the way, do you think the LCBO was fined or it suffered any other punishment for breaking, you know, the law? Of course not. The LCBO is a government unto itself. They can break the law with impunity. So much for this agency's claim that it deserves a monopoly for liquor based on the concept of social responsibility. In any event, you had plenty to say about the LCBO trying to woo Muslims to imbibe alcohol during Ramadan and its penchant to sell alcohol to minors clad in burqas. After all, better for the LCBO to break the law, I guess other than come across as being culturally insensitive. I think I need a drink, folks. Lynn McLeod writes, Muslims don't drink. Well, they aren't supposed to, that's for sure. Do you think the food and drink people are ignorant to this fact or in their LCBO obsessive quest to be inclusive, maybe their wokeism trumped common sense or maybe the food and drink editor was drunk as a skunk when that story idea was pitched in any regard your tax dollars hard at work yet again folks the flat rock writes down south you can buy a 60 of vodka for under 15 dollars us wow yet another argument to get government out of the booze retailing business and allow the private sector to come into it, which has been the case in Alberta since the early 90s. JC writes, end government unions. Oh, 
Hey, JC, I'll drink to that. Mike writes, can you please tell me if the LCBO gave you the bottle they stole from you? The one you paid for? I hope so. Like to see the follow-up. David, best reporter. Well, first of all, thanks so much for the compliment, Mike. And folks, in case you missed it, Mike is referring to our video from a year ago in which I bought three bottles of scotch from the LCBO's Leaside store in Toronto. Problem was, I only received two bottles. Yeah, they ripped me off. Maybe it was an honest error or maybe they were pissed off that my face diaper slipped below my nose at one point. Yes, I got yelled at for that by an LCBO staffer. Nevertheless, LCBO corporate did the right thing for a change by ordering that store to give me the bottle that was bought and paid for, namely a bottle of Glen Farkless 105 Scotch. But when I went to pick up the bottle, the store manager, a COVID super Karen, if ever there was one, refused to hand it over to me. In the meantime, folks, we sent a legal demand letter to the LCBO, which has been inexplicably ignored. Then again, as the sale of booze to minors proves, this entity thinks it is above the law, I guess. So it looks like we are headed to small claims court to get justice. Once again, when it comes to Booze Inc. run by Big Brother, it's always a matter of customer, service, excellence, not astonishing. Doodad writes, David, is this a late April Fool's joke or are you serious? What a ridiculous story. You are correct when you say you aren't that smart. Well, Doodad, I know this video comes across as resembling a delayed April Fool's Day joke. And it's definitely a ridiculous story, I grant you that, but I'm just reporting it. Why shoot the messenger? And not to be a nitpicker here, but there's supposed to be an apostrophe in fools and the F should be uppercase. At least I'm smart enough to know that. And anonymous person writes, and this affects me how? Well, anonymous person, assuming you are an Ontario taxpayer, how do you feel about your provincial government using your tax dollars to publish a magazine and they have absolutely no mandate to be in the magazine publishing business in the first place? That's the bailiwick of the private sector. And doesn't the outrageous double standard bother you when it comes to the LCBO actually breaking the law by selling booze to minors? You know. If a variety store operator is caught selling cigarettes to a minor, we're talking serious financial penalties here. Heck, the government even runs gotcha sting operations to zap small shop operators. But the LCBO Leviathan just shrugs its shoulders and promises to do better in the future. So maybe this does not affect you directly, but it sure bugs the hell out of me and I assume the vast majority of Ontarians, regardless of political ideology. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.